Uh, So we're going to read from verses 28 to 37 of chapter 4. And we're going to flick over into chapter 5 and read the first nine verses of that. Let's read together. Uh, This is Daniel 4, uh, 28 to 37. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as the eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claw. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honoured him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand. Or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted of the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple of Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, his concubines, drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers, The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed.
Thanks, Rob. Uh, keep that open in front of you. We're going to be using that and probably like a few of the verses uh, either side as well. Um, it's a long story, and we're going, to, we're going to be picking up on bits of it. Uh, let me pray for us, uh, and then we'll get, get started. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you that we can um, celebrate our queen together today. And uh, through celebrating her, we can, we can think about what it means to be uh, royal, and what it means to have authority, and what it means for us to honor the greatest king on earth. And I pray you'd help us to do that today, that um, through our thoughts and, and the way we respond to this and through our worship, we will be honoring you as our king. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let me add my welcome to Jubilee Sunday. Um, if you hadn't worked it out from the, the flags out the front, which, uh, Amazon? Is that an Amazon? I don't know. Uh, and the coronation chicken sandwiches, uh, which Bethan's left at home. <laughs> so it, sh- it shows how much she loves the queen. Um, anyway, we're celebrating the queen, right? We're celebrating the queen, and she's reigned for 70 years. And so my question was, well, what does the queen think about God? the first question you would think of when thinking about the Queen. Um, And uh, in her message to the Commonwealth in 2011, this is what she said. She said, although we are capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that sometimes we need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a saviour with the power to forgive. Forgiveness lies at the heart of the Christian faith. It can heal broken families, it can restore friendships, and it can reconcile divided communities. It is in forgiveness that we feel the power of God's love. The Queen said that. Now, that's humble. Because lots of people would say, well, the, the highest authority is the Queen. She's the reigning monarch. Yet here she is, in 2011, talking about a God who fulfills our need, including her need, for forgiveness. This is a queen talking about needing the power of God's love, as if she didn't already have enough power. Well, the highest authority is not the queen. The highest authority is God. He's described as the king of kings, or the king of queens, and lord of lords, whose rule and reign is never-ending. And even kings and queens need to respond to his power. Kings and queens, they do respond to his power. And we should too. And surely, if the queen is taking some notice of God, then it's worth us taking notice too. And we're going to take some time to learn from some of the most powerful kings that were in the Bible and see how they responded to God. And then we're going to take a look at the perfect king, King Jesus. So let's start off by looking at King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of Daniel chapter 4. Now, I was a bit naughty because I I told Rob to start reading at verse 28, which starts off all this. Um, So all what is is the right response to that. So let me just summarize what's happened. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king of Babylon, uh, and Babylon, they've come and captured Jerusalem. There's there's a lot more to it, and a lot more things have happened before this. But um, just before this, he's had a dream. And in this dream is the most amazing tree, the most beautiful, magnificent, luscious tree that you could ever imagine. And in this dream, someone's come along and has chopped this tree down. 
And all that's left is the stump. And the stump is humiliated. And he's confused. And no one can explain this dream to him until Daniel comes along and tells the king that the tree represents you. Why? Well, in verse 25, because he needs to learn that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And then Daniel gives him some advice. This is the advice. Practice righteousness and show mercy to the oppressed. And presumably this advice is followed. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar is, is following God. Uh, if you want to know why, have a read of the earlier chapters in Daniel. But he's carrying on with the sort of things he's been saying in Daniel, Daniel chapter 4 and verse 2. Where he says, um, he says about God, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. So he knows about God. And he takes Daniel's advice and he follows it for a bit. He follows it for a year, for 12 months. But he's got a problem. He's proud. He forgets God. And he forgets his dream. And he stops acting on Daniel's advice. And dishonors God. So let's pick up. Have a look at verse 29. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of of my majesty. He's saying, look at me, big Nebuchadnezzar. Look at these incredible temples that I've crafted with my power and my builders. Look at the, the beautiful hanging gardens, good enough to become one of the seven wonders of the world. Look at the protection that these walls give, so wide that two, four horse-driven chariots can pass by on other side. Aren't I just amazing? And imagine all the people in the room amazing if he was in the lego movie everything is awesome when you're living out a dream literally now there's no indication that he's deliberately turned against god but he's just forgotten him he's so focused on the kingdom of the world he's so focused on what he's got that he's forgotten about god he's proud we can be quite proud too look at me look at my job look at my promotion Look at this exam result. Look at how much money I've saved. Look at my snazzy garden where two four horse-driven chariots can pass by in. That's Rob's garden. <laughs> We're proud. Who can be proud? Anyway, you know the expression, pride comes before a fall. That's what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. God humbles Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. This is outrageous. The greatest king in the world at the time, with wealth and riches beyond imagination, gets chucked in a field on all fours, probably naked, eating grass like a cow for seven years. Imagine, imagine going for a walk in the countryside of Babylon. Walking, walking across a field. Oh look, there's great King Nebuchadnezzar chewing the cud. 
lying on the grass with meter-long hair and foot-long nails. People would talk, right? People would talk. But it showed people, it showed people where the power truly was. Great King Nebuchadnezzar eating grass in the field, humbled by an even greater God. But he doesn't forget God. After seven years or seven periods of time of judgment, look at what he does, verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? If my kingdom had been taken away from me by God, and I'd spent seven years eating grass in a field while my subjects gawped at me and made jokes about me, I would be furious. I would be angry. Nebuchadnezzar, I would be saying, how dare God treat me like that? Who does he think he is? Me, great King Nebuchadnezzar, eating grass in a field. This is humbling for us. This is not how Nebuchadnezzar responds. He's not angry. He looks up and he says, now I know who the king is. Now I know who the greatest kingdom belongs to. Now I know who's in charge. Now I see who should be worshipped. And instead of being proud human beings, when we look at God and his might and his power, and when God humbles us and makes us feel small, because we are small in comparison to him, so small, that should be our response to worship and praise as we lift our eyes and look at the one true king, the one who is perfectly sovereign, the one who does according to his will. God is so gracious to Nebuchadnezzar, verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. He turns back to God, and God blesses him with the return of his riches, the return of his people. And this time, instead of pride, look what he says, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. So Nebuchadnezzar, he was a proud king. He was humbled by God and then restored to a kingship of worship and honoring the one who he now knows is the greater king of the universe. He dedicates his life to God. And for a, for a king, for a queen, for us, that's the right response to God. But there is a wrong response. Let's look at what that looks like. Let's look at king number two, King Belshazzar. 13 years later, there's 13 years between, uh, roughly between these chapters, between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. And there's a new king, Belshazzar, and he's having a party. He's invited all the important people, and he's sitting there drinking wine in front of them. But he's not happy with his wine glasses. 
So he orders that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar has captured from the temple of Jerusalem be brought out. And you're sitting there thinking, so what? <laughs> well, this is, why, this is why this is important. These items were holy. These items represented the temple. They represented the place where God had dwelt with his people. And they would have been set apart. They would only have been used to worship God. And Belshazzar, he takes them and he uses them in a drunken orgy to the gods of gold and silver and wood and bronze. He's spitting in God's face. He's showing, he's openly despising God, showing contempt to him. Now this, this is different from Nebuchadnezzar, I think. This is pride that has turned Belshazzar into saying, I'm the king, God is nothing. God has no power here. My gods, my gods are what matters. God does not matter. Maybe that resonates with you. Might be something that you would say. I'm in charge of my life. God has no power over me. He doesn't matter. Or it might be that there are churches that they take the things that represent God and they turn them into false, idolatrous worship that, that takes God out of the picture and makes it all about the things. And either way, that's, that's rejection of God. That's idolatry. And God doesn't like that. As the good God who is sovereign king of the universe, he is the one who is truly worthy of worship. And so God, well, he pays Belshazzar, Belshazzar a visit. Have a look at verse 5. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. And then look at how he responds, verse 6. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. I see this a lot in teaching. Uh, one child dishonors another child by calling him something rude. I don't know, let's say fart face. So one child calls another child fart face. And the teacher will ask, you know, well, did you hear this? Oh, you heard it. Well, come, come outside, have a chat. Is this true? And you ask all the witnesses, and you figure out that it is true. And then you summon the child. Come outside. I need a word with you. And the child stands before you, knees knocking together. Why? Well, because they've been caught. And they're scared. They're scared of the consequences. They're scared of mum being told off from school. They're scared of spending lunchtime not with their friends outside in the playground. And Belshazzar has been caught red-handed by the Lord Almighty, King of Kings, and he's scared of what's going to happen next. And no one knows what's happening, except for Daniel. And, and to cut a long story short, we, ha we haven't got time to go in the rest, but to cut a long story short, Daniel turns up, and he reminds him, and he says, look how, how, how Nebuchadnezzar honoured God, and look how you, Belshazzar, you have dishonoured God. Belshazzar, he must have known of God. He must have heard the story of Nebuchadnezzar. It's only 13 years later. And yet he chooses to distance himself from God. In fact, worse than that, he goes out of the way to dishonor God, to spit him in his face. And so God judges him. Just skip down through chapter 5 to verse, uh, to verse 25. And this is what was written on the wall. Verse 25, this is the writing that was inscribed, Mini, Mini, Tikal, and Parson. And this is the interpretation of the matter. Mini, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. 
Tico, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And so Daniel says, this is how God is going to judge you. And how does Belshazzar respond to that? Look at verse 29. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put round his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. What's missing? Repentance and God. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? He lifted up his eyes to God and worshipped him. And he said, God, I'm dedicating my kingdom to you. I'm going to praise and extol you. Belshazzar does the opposite. He honors Daniel and ignores God. He continues his life. This is a different form of blasphemy. He continues his life of blasphemy. After all he's been told and all he already knows about God, he doesn't even acknowledge him. This is not how to respond to God. To be so proud that even after a supernatural encounter and the knowledge of what God has done in the lives of the people who've gone before you, to openly reject him and say, I don't need you, God. Stay out of my life. And for people who live like this, and for Belshazzar, there is judgment. Look at verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. Nebuchadnezzar, he ended his days worshipping God. Belshazzar ended his days rejecting God. Nebuchadnezzar will be enjoying eternal life in heaven. Belshazzar will be hating eternal punishment in hell. So Belshazzar, he was an idolatrous king who rejected God and was punished with death. So what hope is there? Because I'm fairly sure that all of us reject God in different ways. Not necessarily like this, but in different ways. And therefore, all of us deserve judgment. And therefore, all of us deserve the punishment of death. But we've got one more king to look at. And this king is a bit different. Because he's the king that came to give us hope. And this is King Jesus. And I want us to turn to Philippians chapter 2. If someone could give me a page number, that would be great. Nine eight Philippians chapter 2, we're going to read from verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So as God, Jesus had all power and all authority. He had the greatest kingdom, far better than Nebuchadnezzar. We couldn't possibly imagine the splendor of his kingdom in heaven. And he was reigning with his father, the creator of heaven and earth. And what did he choose to do with his kingdom? 
left it all behind and humbled himself. And Jesus, who was equal to God, he chose, he chose to empty himself, to give away his kingliness, to, to give away that equality with God. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? He used his kingdom to, to pridefully boast of his riches, to make out it was all his doing and nothing of God. And Belshazzar, he used his power to reject and mock God, acting like he didn't need him at all. But Jesus gave up his kingdom, and he gave up his kingdom to do the most unroyal, unkingly things. He took the form of a servant. He was born in a dirty stable to a poor family. He grew up as a carpenter. His grand kingly entrance into Jerusalem was on the back of a donkey. And he spent his days serving hand-to-hand the poor, the weak, and the sick, performing miracles on the unclean, and eating with the most sinful of people. And then he humbled himself even more by dying on the cross. This wasn't like Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's humility was a judgment from God. Jesus hadn't sinned. He wasn't idolatrous. He wasn't proud. He chose as God to empty himself, to humble himself to the point of death. The greatest king from the greatest kingdom of heaven, hanging helpless with nails driven through his hand and a crown of thorns shoved on his head and blood pouring from whippings and beatings and he was paraded before the crowd and spat on and insulted until he breathed his last. Breathed his last. King Jesus, dead. Why? For you and me. It's for our salvation. Belshazzar's death was a judgment from God for his rejection. Jesus' death was a judgment from God for our rejection. Let me say that again. Belshazzar's death death was a judgment from God for his rejection. Jesus' death was a judgment from God for our rejection. And on the cross, Jesus took the judgment that we deserved for rejecting God upon himself so that we might be forgiven. Jesus' response to his father was obedience. Obedience to his father's will, obedience to being the perfect sacrifice needed to rescue mankind from their sinful pride and idolatry. And he modeled for us what true obedience to God looks like, what true kingship should look like, following God's will, whatever it costs. Look at verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Nebuchadnezzar, God God exalted him after he realized who the true king was. And his exaltation to a better kingdom is nothing compared to the restoration of Jesus. Jesus didn't stay dead. He defeated death. He conquered the grave and he was raised and seated with heaven. And given the name that is above every name. So that one day, every knee, including Nebuchadnezzar's, including Belshazzar's, and including yours, will bow before him, either in worship and knowing that King Jesus has brought salvation, or pale, with knees knocking together, knowing that your rejection will be punished with eternal judgment. So how do you respond to the greatest king. If you're not a Christian, then you've chosen to live your own way or you're choosing to live your own way. You're choosing to reject God, even though you know of him. 
You're wanting God to have no part in your life. You're worshipping whatever God you choose that you think is more important than him. Money, fame, career, family. Maybe even using the things that he's given you to openly mock him, to spit in his face. And if you continue like this, well, God will eventually give you what you want, which is a life without him. In fact, in eternity apart from him. Eternal punishment in hell. And if you've realized that's how you're living, then, well, there's hope. You can ask God to change your heart, to see how wonderful it is that Jesus chose to be humbled to the point of death so that you can have eternal life. Turn from your pride and rejection to respond in love to King Jesus. Say sorry for the things you've done that dishonor God. Lift up your eyes to him and worship him and God will graciously forgive you because of what Jesus has done. And even more than that, he welcomes you with open arms into his kingdom to enjoy his riches, to restore you. He loves you and wants that for you. And if you'd like to do that with someone today, come and speak to one of the church leaders after the service. We'd really love to have a chat and pray with you. And if you are a Christian, then the command that we read in Philippians 2 verse 5 is for you. Let's read it again. Look at verse 5. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So if you are a Christian, your mindset and the way you live and your heart is to be based on the model of Jesus. And we saw that Jesus lived in obedience to God as a servant. He followed God's will sacrificially. And so our response to God, when we see his great love in sending Jesus to bring salvation, should be to serve him in obedience, in worship, dedicating all that we have to him, being willing to follow his perfect will, however difficult, and even to the point of suffering and death, if that's our calling. And praise God, we don't have to do this in our own strength. He's given us the Holy Spirit to help us do that. And so when your knee bows and your tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, it brings God glory. It honours our King. And I want to finish by reading this description of God that was preached by an American preacher called S.M. Lockridge. And if you are a Christian, I want you to use these words to worship in. In fact, I'd love it if you made some noise, some, some amens, some hallelujahs. And if you're not a Christian, use these words to think about God and whether he could actually be worth living for. Because the Queen thinks so. Let me read this. The Bible says he's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. David says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies show his handiwork. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. 
He's the miracle of the age. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tired. He sympathizes and he saves. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the ages. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? My king is the key of knowledge. He's the spring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace, the roadway of righteousness, the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty, the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes, the leader of the legislated, the governor of governors, the prince of princes, the king of kings, and the lord of lords. That's my king. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. The heaven of heavens cannot contain him. Let alone a man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him out of your hands. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Praise the Lord. That's my king. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. The glory is all his. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. And when you get through all of the forevers, then amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.